just want to point out we have a parents room down the back there. If you need some space for your kids to run around a little bit, uh, feel free to use that space this morning. It's good to, good to be alive. It's good to feel uh, aliveness in church. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Uh, just in case you didn't hear that, <laughs> just in case you didn't hear that, there is a, a parents' room out the back if you need a space for the kids to uh, run around a little bit. There's also some colouring pages at the back there. Who's got a colouring sheet, kids? These few have. If you need a colouring sheet, feel free to just go up there and grab some, some pencils there too, Charlie. Yep, some pencils there too. Fantastic. Well, I want to say it's the greatest news you could ever wake up to. It was the best news ever in history, and it is the best news that will ever be in history, that Jesus was alive. <laughs> Amen. The disciples woke up, Mary and, and, and the other ladies that went to the tomb, they woke up, and they were so discouraged. They were so depressed about what had happened. And yet they woke up, and as they went to the tomb, and as they came back and told them what had happened... And as word started to spread, it was unbelievable, but it was true that Jesus was alive. It was amazing. As the disciples say, as we'll read a little bit later, they, they thought it was nonsense, but it was true. Jesus is alive. As Matt shared about on Good Friday, uh, about how for those disciples in those, in those hours after Jesus' death, it seemed like there was no hope. It seemed like all hope was gone and the disciples were discouraged. We can be discouraged. We can feel like at times, how is God going to come through in this situation? How can God have the victory when this has happened? But as we saw, God is able, Jesus is able, and we celebrate that today. I'm just going to find my notes. I'm going to get off track otherwise. When... We feel like we've messed it up. When we see people that are hurting, we, when we see people that are broken, when we see maybe people persecuting you because of your faith in Jesus, and maybe it feels like God's doing nothing, and you think, God, why is this? When things are happening in your life, and you think, God, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do about this? We can, we can be discouraged, but Jesus has won the victory. God has overcome sin and death, and He is the answer to all of our needs. You know, we live in an information-saturated world, don't we? When I was at school, maybe some of you can relate to this. When I was at school, you, you had to do a project. I remember in grade three and four, I did a pro, pro, some projects, and you did up the big poster, and you put, stick up some pictures and you couldn't print all the information off the internet because you couldn't do that back then. And when you wanted to find information on something, I remember this great hunt. You'd go on hunts through books and you'd read and look through and flick through books and you'd find a paragraph of information. And you said, hallelujah, I found a paragraph of information. And I remember doing a project on gorillas and, and you'd find this book and it had a paragraph on gorillas. And you're like, yes, it's a miracle. And then you'd go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and you'd try and read the, the words on the page and it was like it was trying to talk to you, but you had no idea what it meant. And you'd go to your parents and you'd ask, what does this mean? And you'd try and write down some facts. And, but it was hard to find information. When I was at school, that's not that long ago, 
<laughs> Some of you guys are like, yes, it is. What are you talking about? Pastor Andrew, you're old. <laughs> but now we live in an information-saturated world. Where do you go when you want to find information? What are you talking? The library. Ninety-nine <laughs> percent of the time, I think people turn to Google to find information. And it's not a matter of how do I find information, it's which information do I listen to? There is so much information and so much of it that is not reliable and is so fallible. And the, the, the challenge today is to work out what do I bother reading, what do, I, what do I look at, how do I decide which information is worth looking at? You know, information is thrown at us every day, hour after hour after hour, probably minute by minute. You drive down the road and there's signs everywhere throwing information at you saying, have a coffee break, go to this place, go to that place, buy this. This car has better airbags than yours. There's information thrown at us day by day by day. We watch TV, information's thrown at us. You open emails and you've got all these emails about things you don't want to read about or this is like who sent this to me you know just in my my time preparing this message yesterday over a couple of hours I had two phone calls from the Telstra technical department I thought leave me alone (laughs) you know we have people door knock trying to sell us better power prices we have people ringing us trying to sell us solar we're bombarded with information all the time The challenge isn't trying to find information, it's trying to work out which information is useful. And we have to, we we must filter the information. We, We, by necessity, we filter the information and think, does this apply to me? I think all of us do this. We, we get information, you get letters in the mail, whatever it might be. You get notes home from school and, and, and you, you get this information and you look at it and you think, does this apply to me? No? Straight in the bin. Best filing system in the world ever invented. Straight in the bin. Forget about it. Move on. And there's the other information that comes in. You think, this might apply to me. This could be important. I'll put it in the I'll look at later pile. Anyone have one of them? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's not that high. And then there's the other ones you open and you look at and you think, wow, I've got to do something about this or I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> Does anyone have that pile? Has that, sometimes that pile builds up too. And sometimes you look at that pile and you read it or sometimes we, we get those emails and things and you sort of skim read it and you think, yeah, I should do something about this but you don't read the details and you don't really know what to do, do you? Because we're so rushed. There's so much information that we skim over the important things sometimes and we miss the things that are vitally important. I wonder if you've ever hung up on someone thinking they were a telemarketer to find out it was actually someone trying to talk to you. I may or may not have done that. Um, I apologise if that was you. But the truth is, if we're not careful, we can filter out the most important information for information that is seemingly important but in comparison is trivial and a waste of our time we need to think about what information are we filtering out what information are we actually listening to and this morning i want us to stop i want us to put our filters aside for a moment that doesn't mean turn your brain off but just let's listen to what god's word says 
Let's open up to John chapter 20. If you've got it there, I encourage you to open it up, read it. Maybe you want to circle some things as we read through it this morning. Or if you haven't got your Bible with you, please feel free to read along on the screen. John chapter 20 and verse 1. And just to let you know, this message is going to be in two parts this morning. If it seems a little strange, sorry, I like to mess things up sometimes. John chapter 20, verse 1 to 18. It says this. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think it's really interesting. John thinks it's important who's the fastest. Anyway, verse 5. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He doesn't hold back, Peter. He just does what he thinks. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they, hadn't they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbanai, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my God, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. The tomb is empty. The, the, the grave clothes are empty. The body is gone. In Luke and Mark's account of the, the resurrection, it says they go and tell the disciples. And it says it sounded like nonsense. They didn't believe what they said. You know, some people say that the disciples made up the whole story, but the disciples didn't even believe what had happened. It seemed too crazy, too good to be true. They, these guys had to be convinced that Jesus was risen. They thought it sounded like nonsense. But then Jesus turns to Mary after she, she sees this guy in the garden and thinks it's just the gardener and says, where is he? Jesus asks Mary this question. Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Who is it you are looking for, Mary? Now, 
I don't know if you've ever been asked a dumb question. But right there, that seems like a pretty dumb question to me. And I'm sure Jesus doesn't ask dumb questions. But Mary is crying. She, she has lost the one that she believed was the Savior. And she's, she's crying. And Jesus says, Mary, who is it you're looking for? I don't think it's actually a dumb question. I don't think it's actually a dumb question for Mary. And I don't think it's actually a dumb question for us today. Because I think God is actually asking us the same question. Who is it you are looking for? Or maybe to rephrase it a little bit, what is it? that you are looking for. Maybe it's the things that we're looking for that determine what information we filter out, what information we put to the side and what we go after in life. Who is it you're looking for? What is it you're looking for? Even as Christians, we can get so much information thrown at us. There's so much happening in life that we can start to look for things that have no life in them. We can look for a little bit more money, a little bit more pleasure, a little bit more comfort, a little bit more peace in this life. But who is it we're looking for? What is it we are really looking for? We've got Mary who's out there looking for the dead body of Jesus. Mary's there, she's looking everywhere saying, where is the dead body of Jesus? But God has something so much better in mind than a dead body. Jesus says to her, who are you looking for? Mary's looking for this dead body of Jesus. But God has something so much better than a dead body, and it's the risen Savior, Jesus. He is no longer dead. He's risen. He's alive. And Jesus is saying, Mary, here I am. Stop looking for that dead body. Here I am, Mary. Here I am. Do you see me, Mary? It's like he cries out to Mary, saying, Mary, look, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm risen. I am not dead. And I wonder so many times, how often is God saying to us, I have something so much better for you, Andrew. Andrew, there's something so much better for you than what you're asking for. Andrew, you're asking for me to just to do these things and fix these things up and, and help you with these things. But Andrew, I want to grow you. I want to show you these things. I want to teach you these things. Andrew, I'm, I'm leading you to, to seek me in this and to find something so much better than what you'd even hope for, Andrew. Sorry, my name's Andrew, in case you're visiting and you don't know. That's me. I wonder how often does God have something far better in mind? And kids, if you're filling in the blanks on your colouring sheet, there's one there, I think. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do immeasurably more than you might ever imagine. God is able to do far greater things than we can ever comprehend in our mind. He is so much greater than we can ever comprehend in our mind. And I wonder, how much do we limit Him by looking for life in dead things sometimes? Just trying to find peace, just trying to find joy, just trying to find some comfort in something that will not bring us life instead of coming to Him who gives life. The first step in finding life in God is to focus 
on him. Not on our needs, not on our desires, not on how much we need this thing, but just to come to God and say, God, help me to understand who you are. So this morning, we're going to pause for a moment. I'm going to ask the band to come back, and we're just going to sing a couple of songs right now. And we're just going to focus on Jesus. We're going to focus on what He's done for us. The words of this first song start, it says, I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands and feet. He is our Messiah. He is the one who died for our sin so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Can we stand this morning? And we're just going to pause. We're going to focus on Him, on what He has done for us. And just ask God, even as we sing, to say, God, open my mind to see the, the greatness of what You've done, the greatness of what You're calling us to this morning. Help me to see bigger than what I've seen in the past, Lord. Help me to see the, the hugeness of Your plan for me. Even this morning, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's sing. Lord God, we thank you for the power of your name, Lord Jesus, that anyone who calls on the power of your name will be saved. Anyone who commits their life to you, Lord, who, who puts their faith and their trust in you will be saved. And God, I just pray, Lord, as I continue to share now, Lord, that God, you would help us to see outside of the box that we put you in at times, Lord God. Lord, help us to see a greater, clearer picture of who you are, of what you've done, and how that applies to our lives, Lord God, I pray. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are risen. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you, God. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. It's not just a name that came to, to fix us up a little bit and make us be, be better people either. Jesus didn't come just to make you be a better person. Jesus came to be the sacrifice for our sin, that we could be made new in Him, that we are made new creations in Christ by putting our faith in Him. What a beautiful, beautiful name it is. I want to read to you this verse from Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Let me read that to you again. So we say, I... Oh, that was pretty, that was pretty poor. I... I... Oh, that's better. Oh, some... So we, I, must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. That is so true. We can so easily be distracted. We can so easily be discouraged. I wonder if you've ever forgotten about the grace and love of God through the week as you've gone and done stuff through the week and you forget about God's power. You forget about His ability to deliver His people through the Red Sea, you forget about His power to deliver them as a nation. You forget about His power to overcome sin and death and rise again. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may, I would even say, or we will drift away from it. 
You can have a burning, raging fire and you take a burning, raging hot coal out of that fire and what happens within a short space of time? It goes cold, it goes dim. The light it had grows dim and, and, and it loses the, the, the fire, the, the heat. That as a church, God intends that we have. He wants us to listen so carefully to remember what He has done. Kids, we're going to do a quick quiz. And this is a fun quiz. This isn't like a school test. This is like a fun quiz. Even though it may have some maths and spelling involved. Who likes maths? Oh, awesome. Who, who likes spelling? Not me. Anyway, we're going to do a quick, a quick quiz. And if you've got a pen and paper, I want you to write down one to five. Five questions. Five questions. If I've got a pen and paper, I can see a couple of people getting their phones out with their notepad. You're ready to write down the answers. We're going to have a quick quiz. If you've got the, the notes with the sermon outline on it, the kids, you, you've got questions one to five there. Okay, so this is a quick quiz. It's not going to take long. Question number one. What's two plus two? Just write it down. We, we, what did that verse say just before? We must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. You don't tell people the answers. Shh. Okay, quick quiz. Two plus two, number one. You can just write it down. Write down your answer. You, this is, put, with, put it with your notes. Next question. We're going up to grade two level now. Five times four. Write it down. Don't call it out. Five times four. It's really tricky. Oh, this one needs a little bit longer. Okay. Next question. Okay, spell cat. And you thought I was going to have it on the screen, didn't you? You thought I was going to have it up there. I'm not that silly. Spell cat. You know, cat as in... Anyway, spell cat. Okay, hopefully that's enough time. Question number four. Very good. Spell calligraphy. And in case you're wondering, we're not going to have the answers because I don't know. Um, <laughs> and number five. We're going up a few grades here. Great. This, is, this is a little. This might be secondary school stuff here. If the length of the first side is three centimeters, the second side is four centimeters. What's the length of the other side? Don't call it out. Don't call it out. Now, if you were listening in school, if you did your secondary school maths, you would know Pythagoras' theorem: a squared plus b squared equals c squared. So four squared plus three squared equals c squared. Yeah. Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's 4 squared, 16, 3 squared, 9 equals 25. Square root of 25 equals 5. Give yourselves a clap. Well done. Because yeah. it's, it's a 3, 4, 5 triangle. Everyone knew that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pythagoras theorem. Easy. Okay, let's just, let's just be... <laughs> I didn't expect so much excitement. <laughs> we'll move on. If we forget or don't apply the things we learn, it is useless. If you learn how to do your maths, if you learn how to spell but you never apply it, it's useless. Now, I learned Pythagoras theorem at school and praise God, when I built a deck, I remembered how to work out how long to cut that bit of wood. I thought, praise be to God. I applied that knowledge to my life. Did you know... Guys at school, you can apply Pythagoras' theorem to your life. Who would have thought, hey? If we forget or don't apply the things we learn, it is useless. 
Or as the writer of Hebrews says, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. I wonder if you've ever met someone, ask them their name, they tell you your name, and then 10 seconds later you've forgotten. (laughs) If we don't apply what we learn to our lives, it's useless. What else can we learn from the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Jesus is alive. But what else can we learn from the resurrection? I just want to highlight three things this morning briefly. There's probably a thousand things we could look at. But number one, Jesus came for all of us. He came for every single person who ever lived on this earth. You know, some people in the original day, back when the Bible was written even, would have said the testimony of these these women that came to the tomb, it's invalid. Because a woman's word in court was invalid. It had no weight. And yet Jesus chose to reveal himself first to those women who went to the tomb. The angels came, they spoke to them. Jesus comes to the people that people might write off and say their word is irrelevant. Their lives are irrelevant. That person doesn't matter. Jesus came for every single one of us. You know, the disciples, Jesus came for the one who denied him three times even as he was being taken to be crucified. Jesus came for those disciples who said, this is nonsense, he can't be risen from the dead. Even though he'd spent three years ministering to them, telling them about who he was, had seen his miracles, he'd told them he'd rise again on the third day, and still they said, it's nonsense, this can't have happened. But Jesus came for them. One of those women who went to the tomb was quite likely a prostitute. And yet Jesus revealed himself to her before so many others. He didn't come and reveal himself to kings and and rulers, but he came for every one of us. There's no one that Jesus did not die and rise again to win the victory for. He's done it for every single one of us. He did it for the one who said, I will never believe unless I see the scars in his hands and the wound in his side. Maybe you've been like that, that you said, I have heard what Jesus did, but I cannot believe what happened unless I see Jesus with the wounds in his hands and the scar in his side. Unless I physically see Jesus alive, I can't believe it. Maybe that's you today. But I want to say, Jesus did it for you. And you may have your doubts, but it doesn't change what he did. Jesus came for us all. Number two, Jesus came to bring peace and forgiveness. I want to read to you the next part of John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The disciples 
were afraid. They were filled with fear because of the Jewish leaders. They've already crucified their, their, their leader. They've crucified him and, and they are so afraid that they are going to come and take them away and, and crucify them, whip them, beat them or do whatever else as well. But Jesus comes into that locked room and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And suddenly they have joy. They realize that Jesus is risen. He's conquered sin. He, he offers forgiveness to us all. He, he's forgiven us, even though we deserted him as he was crucified. He, he's forgiven us. And he says, peace be with you. You know, Jesus died on the cross for your sin so that you could have peace with God. And as Matt shared on Friday, that no matter what is happening through our lives, if we focus on his love for us, we will have peace. We'll have confidence. We'll have courage, even through the things that we go through in this life. Number three, Jesus can help when no one else can. Jesus went into that room that was locked. It was, it was a locked room and yet Jesus comes into that room because Jesus is not held captive by our humanness. He's the, he's the risen Savior. Jesus has defeated sin and death. He is God in human flesh. And He is able to go into the places where other people may not be able to help you. Maybe you've got hurt in your life and there's pain or things going on in your life and you feel like nothing anyone can do can help me. But Jesus can go. He can help where no one else can. You might feel like you're hopeless. You might feel like there is no hope in your situation. But God is able to come into your life. He is able to help you. He is able to bring peace. He's able to bring life when you, all you thought there was was hopelessness. A couple of weeks ago, I got to share with the, the Mops ladies uh, about my testimony, my journey, and from my, my point of feeling discouraged about life so much to discovering that there's a God who loves me, who cares for me, who gave me hope and joy in life that I could never have imagined just those weeks earlier. Jesus can help when no one else can. And you know what, church? He's called us to take that message of hope to this hurting and broken world. The next chapter of John, John 21, it says the disciples go fishing. They go back to work. Jesus is risen. He's appeared. Then he disappears. And the disciples are kind of like, well, we need something to eat. We better go back to work. They go fishing. And then Jesus appears on the on the lakeside and then there's the miraculous catch of fish after he tells them to throw their net out on the other side and they realize it's Jesus and they go onto the shore and they're having breakfast and you know Jesus doesn't tell them off he doesn't say guys why haven't you gone to tell people about me he doesn't say guys why have you why have you just gone back to fishing again why, why haven't you gone fishing for men like I told you to he just sits with them they're having breakfast and he turns to Peter, who's denied him three times. He doesn't say, Peter, why did you deny me three times? He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these, Peter? Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? Three times he says it. 
He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't say, come on, get on with it. He just says, Peter, do you love me more than these? I think he's saying, Peter, what's, what's your focus going to be from this point? Are you going to go back to your old life and just be a fisherman and, and, and just fish and that's it? Or are you going to go wherever you go in life because you love me to tell people about my love for them? Now, I don't think he's saying for us, don't go back to work. But he's saying when we go back to work on, not Monday, on Tuesday maybe, maybe Wednesday. Maybe you've got a couple of weeks off like some people. But when you go back to your normal routine, what's going to be your focus? Do you love me more than, maybe you want to fill the blank. Do you love me more than, do you love me more than this? He doesn't tell them off. He just says, where's your focus? What's your passion? What's your desire? I think 2 Timothy chapter 3 is kind of like Paul's version of what Jesus is saying to the disciples. I just want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 to 5, it says, You know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Paul's saying, Timothy, where's your focus? What's your focus on, Timothy? Just to skip forward a little bit to verse 14. He says this, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have been given, they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, or God breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You know, Jesus reveals his love to us. He, he reveals his power through the resurrection. And then he says, I want you to go and do every good work I have prepared for you to do that others might know the hope that they can have in you. I want to ask you again this morning, who is it that you are looking for? What is it that you're looking for in this life? What are you looking for? The Jews were looking for a, a Messiah to come to, to deliver them from the, from the Romans, to, to, to save them from the oppression of this kingdom that was ruling over them as a people. They were looking for one that would rise up and raise up an army to, to defeat the Romans. That's who they were looking for. And when Jesus came, they said, this isn't the Messiah we've been waiting for. Because they wanted their own version of the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah that would do what they wanted him to do. 
But Jesus didn't come to deliver them as a nation from the Roman oppression. He came to set us free from the power of sin and to be free for all time, for all people in all places. What are you looking for? Sometimes we're looking for a God that's more like a genie than who God really is. We just want him to do what we want. We just want him to be like we want him to be. But Jesus is the true and living Savior. He's the one who has come and he is risen. He is the Messiah. He has been sacrificed for our sin. He was buried and on the third day he did rise again. And he calls us, every single one of us, just like he did to Mary, and says, do you see what I've done for you? Do you see I'm alive? Don't go looking for life in dead things. Come to me and find life, find forgiveness, find eternal life and forgiveness in me. Jesus did not die in vain, as the verse says on the back wall, declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared with power to be the Son of God. He rose again victorious. He did not die in vain. It is finished by the blood of Jesus. This morning we're going to finish by taking communion together. And I'll ask if the stewards would come and hand out elements. And I want to invite you this morning, if you're a visitor, please feel free to join us as we take communion this morning. If you're here and you don't feel comfortable, please feel free to let it go past also if you don't feel to. But this morning, I want us to think about what we're doing. Let's not just filter this out as something we've done time and time and time again. Let's think about what Jesus has done for us, his broken body, symbolized in that broken piece of bread, that cup of grape juice representing his blood that was poured out on that cross for our sin. He is the sacrifice that takes away the punishment for our sin. He is the one that washes us clean by his blood. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because of his sacrifice for us. I'm going to ask the band to come too, just as we're handing out communion. And we're going to sing a song called The Lion and the Lamb. It says he's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? The Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every person who has ever lived will understand that there is a God who judges the living and the dead. But the Bible says anyone who puts their trust in Him, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, in His sacrifice for our sin, knowing that we are not worthy but He has made us worthy, anyone who puts their trust in Him will not be condemned, but we will have eternal life. He is the lion, the all-powerful conqueror, but he's also the lamb, the sacrifice for our sin. Maybe it's just we stay seated as we sing this song now. Thanks, guys. Can we stand this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
God, we thank you so much that, God, you did not simply die for those who are good enough. You did not die for those who had some special requirements, Lord God, but you died on that cross for every single one of us. Lord Jesus, you died that sacrificial on the death despite the fact that you had never sinned. You went to the cross and you were crucified for our sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning. And just before we take the the biscuit and the cup, maybe this morning you've never yourself said, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Maybe you've never understood what he's done until this moment. And even now, just as as you stand here, as you think about what Jesus has done, you can simply pray, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. God, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose again and I put my trust in you. And as we turn to him, the Bible says that if we repent, if we turn away from living for ourselves, if we, if we turn to him for forgiveness, we will be forgiven. That we can have life and eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, all of heaven is rejoicing because you have understood why Jesus died. Lord God, we thank you. And Lord, as we take these emblems this morning, the biscuit which reminds us of your body, the cup which reminds us of your blood, we thank you that it was not over when you were put into that tomb. But Lord Jesus, you rose again on the third day. Uh, You are victorious over sin and death. And we too have the victory over sin because of you. Lord God, we thank you that it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of anything that we will do, but it's simply because of you. Uh, We are so thankful. We are so grateful this morning, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to apply this to our lives. Even as you appeared in that that room where the disciples were filled with fear, you came and you spoke, peace be with you. And they were filled with joy. God, I pray that we would apply the truth of what you have done to our lives at every single moment of every day, that we would remember your call, peace be with you. That we would have joy in knowing that we have a Savior who loves us, a God who created us, who knows us, and is for us and not against us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us, that you would give us courage and boldness to proclaim this truth and this hope that we have in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's now eat and drink, celebrating, remembering, and enjoying this gift of communion that Jesus has given us this morning. Let's eat and drink. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And just before we close with our final song this morning, uh, Marilyn was sharing with me about her uh, word God gave her to, to just to pray for her, her grandson. And she didn't know why, but she just, 
prayed. She just heard that there was some danger and she just prayed. And then she, she discovered that he was in Fiji where the, the um, cyclone was heading straight for. And we have a God who is alive and he knows the situations that we face. We, he, he knows the circumstances that we, we come up against and he wants to come into those situations and know, for us to know that He is with us, that we can have peace, that we can know that God is for us and not against us. And He is able through all things. We're going to sing this last song now. It says, Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold. The church is His bride and He is the groom who is coming for His bride and He will never turn His bride away. His love is devoted and no matter how many times His people went astray throughout the Old Testament and for us today, no matter how many times we stumble and fall and mess up, His love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Let our praise, let His praise be ever on our lips. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing and give glory to God this morning.